0: Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the President, please send them to pip at Christian Center We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. All right, good morning, good morning, everyone. Zachar coming to you from North Carolina. And today I wanna to do things a little bit differently. I want to ask and more so answer the question that uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries asked of what is in the bill that is entitled Women's Health Protection Act. We talked about this last week, and this is a story evolving around the actions taken by pro-life organizations partnering with Senator Lindsey Graham to push the idea and start the topic of discussion on a 15-week national abortion ban in line with the Dobbs case out of Mississippi. And we've seen the pushback from Republicans. We've highlighted some of the top 15 names out of the Senate who have signed a letter in stating that they do not agree with Senator Lindsey Graham's bill. And while legislatively I understand where they're coming from, morally and biblically it is very problematic to see the arguments that are being made now, with their fifth block of 15, their stance, is they understand you'd have to get 60 votes. They're not going to get a single Democratic vote, and you possibly out of those 15 might have three or four who legitimately on moral stances probably wouldn't vote for it either way. So therefore you fall short of the 60-vote threshold. But my purpose of this is to do this very thing. I want to play this clip because this will outline the purpose of, of why we need to actually look at this bill. Let me go back and play it from the beginning because I think that first word there is very, very important. We support the Women's Health Protection Act. Read the bill, Republicans, if you're unclear on our position. We all voted for it. That's our position. So we're going to do just that. We're going to read and read analysis of the Women's Health Protection Act today. Now, I'm pre-recording this because I'm traveling, but I felt like this was a, an important topic to take our time on, focus on, and understand the realities of what he is saying. They support the Women's Health Protection Act, which passed, let's, which, let's start off there. It passed, the House hasn't made its way out of... The House hasn't made its way to the Senate because it won't get voted for either way. The final vote on that bill was 219 yeas, meaning 219 yeses, all from Democrats, 210 nays, and two not voting. The one – and I want to pull it up here – the one Democrat – who voted no on this, was Henry um, Cugliar, probably butchering that. He is Hispanic out of Laredo, Texas, down near Corpus Christi, San Antonio region, who has a strong Hispanic community who are (laughs) very, very pro-life. And so that's part of the reason why he voted for that pro-life Democrat in Louisiana has a governor who considers himself that. So he voted in line with this. Kudos on him. Now, the two not-voting Republicans and the only non-voting constituents were Liz Cheney out of Wyoming and Anthony Gonzalez out of Ohio, who both now are no longer going to be in office next term. Liz Cheney was primaried out. She lost in the the re-election cycle, and Anthony Gonzalez said he wasn't going to run. So then you have the other 209 Republicans stating no. There are no independents. And this is straight from the clerk.house.gov website. All official counts here. And to start off, let's go through the final passage of the bill, as it was written, of that is entitled Women's Health Protection Act of two thousand. And 22, the quote unquote section two findings and purpose are that on June, the first one is the findings is on June 24th, 2022, in this decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Health Organization goes through talks about, okay here's the legalities of this and then talks about the dissent here in point two in their dissent, justices Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan, write. The majority says that from the very moment of fertilization a woman has no rights to speak of, a state can force her to bring pregnancy to term even to the steepest personal and familial costs. Focusing in on the woman, not the life of the baby. And you'll see that all throughout here. Goes on to continue in in point three. The dissenting justices continue the Mississippi law. At issue here, bars abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy under the majority's ruling, though another state's law could do so even after 10, going back to the the Texas case here. They um, really just outline the problems with the Roe, or what the issue of the Roe case and the Dobbs case was in highlighting that here. So you see that early on. And I want to now, before we... As we dive into this, know that this first portion here in green for those watching via video is from congress.gov. I will put the links below and in the um, show notes for this podcast because if you want to go back and read this yourself, it's it's very lengthy. That's why I don't want to go point by point on this. But I want to, to highlight those. So they start off in dealing with the problems with the Dobbs case there, the issue in uh, case in Mississippi. That all... Lindsey Graham's bill is trying to do is adhere to those that same standard that the Supreme Court stood for. And now I want to read a analysis from – and I, I hinted at this a little bit the other day. I didn't have time to go f- through the full article, but I want to go through this full article because it summarizes – I've read the text of the entire bill. There's a few points in the bill that it jumps around, and this this article here, and more so a commentary – from Thomas Jipping, Jipping, from the Heritage Foundation, really does a good job of breaking down not only the legal arguments, but some of the constitutional arguments involved here of where this Women's Health Protection Act goes through and tries to usurp state's authority even after Roe v. Wade was put down. And what I mean by that is in that bill, the Women's Health Protection Act, H.R. 8296, the federal government tries and is trying to, through this, basically say we have the Congress has the authority to control interstate commerce and commerce in general, however they deem it necessary, and take a totalitarian – hard, not a soft, hard totalitarian step into what states are or are not allowed to do on the case of abortion now you could see where that could go into effect in other areas now the writing of this article was based around the very similar almost exactly except those first two couple portions there that I, i read out of the senate bill 1975 that was put forward in late June of, I'm going to make sure I have it here, late June or June 8th of 2021. And when you look at both bills, after the first couple points, they're pretty much the exact same, because they are the exact same, of how the bills come into operation, the the original Senate 1975 bill was based upon the 14th Amendment. They ended up taking that out because of how Roe was written or how Roe was blown up with the Dobbs case, and everything is now evolved around Dobbs case. They throw some international things in there, which have no basis of anything in any law in the United States or shouldn't. And so I want to go through this. And he starts off by saying the U.S. Senate will next week, he's obviously talking about this bill, this is in... Um, He wrote this in February of 2022, but he's talking about the um, 1975 when it was originally written, Senate bill. The so-called Women's Health Protection Act. Its backers want everyone to believe that it will simply protect by statute the right to abortion that the Supreme Court defines in its Roe v. Wade decision. Okay, so he's – the the way the bill was written was around Roe v. Wade. So I want to skip down a little bit and get to – where and what the Women's Health Protection Act goes into. So he goes through the Roe v. Wade argument, the 14th Amendment argument here, um, and really the strategy uh, of the Women's Health Protection Act, which seeks to hide, censor, and avoid the fact that abortion is designed to kill a human being, which it does because it focuses on, quote unquote, the woman, um, the, health, the welfare, quote unquote, economical status of the woman. Then he goes to this is where the Women's Health Protection Act comes in by tending to prevent those governments from placing any kind of limitation or restriction of any kind on abortion. Because the goal is to not have any restrictions on it. And it gets interesting from here. Stick with me. The bill prohibits any legislature, anywhere, understand this, from enacting 11 specific categories of abortion regulation as well as any that are similar to them. This legislation ban covers anything that is reasonably likely to delay some patients from getting an abortion meaning they have to wait 24 hours or so as we have in louisiana and other states to indirectly increase the cost of doing so meaning you have to go to an actual hospital uh, and be in an actual medical facility to be able to have one if you are allowed to have one or even necessitating a trip to the doctor's office meaning you can no longer or you shouldn't have the ability to have an at-home abortion via a pill, via a teleconference with a doctor, or maybe have no doctor or nurse or medical proper facility or person there with you. That seems so hard uh, to be in reality, but that's what this bill wants to – those type of things want to allow. You can just go wherever, you know, abortion clinic is and there doesn't have to be a, a licensed medical officer – nurse doctor whatever the case may be to actually perform the abortion now the w whpa's two most glaring defects are the con that congress has no authority to dictate how state and local legislators may handle abortion and even if it did the whpa is far more radical than even roe v way itself that is two that is true Goes on to say the WHPA refers repeatedly to the constitutional right to terminate a pregnancy. Obviously, in the, the most updated bill, it doesn't necessarily talk about that. Um, it just talks about the right of protecting the woman, and then it goes on to say, he goes on to say that the WHP also claims that Congress has power to regulate, and this is in the new bill too. Interstate commerce allows it to control state and local abortion legislation. The bill's findings state that to provide abortion services, health care providers engage in interstate commerce. That was the constitutional basis for Congress enacting the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act in 2003. The WHPA, however, would regulate not abortion or abortion services, but how state legislatures regulate them. That distinction makes all the constitutional difference. In addition, Congress lacking any constitutional authority to enact it, the WHPA would even more radically than either Roe v. Wade or the Bill's own legislative procedures. And what they're trying to do, obviously, in that is when you go back and you understand the realities of what this is trying to do of enforcing and codifying Roe v. Wade and making it so that obviously it can be provided for. Now, in regards to the current bill that is was before the House, there is, I, I mean, just... I want to read this section of, of applicable and preemption of the bill, section 5, where it talks about this specific thing here of the interstate commerce section. In general, it says, except as stated under Section B, this Act supersedes and applies to the law of the federal government and each state government, and the implementation of such law, whether statutory, common law, or otherwise, and whether adopted before or after the date of enactment of this Act, and neither the federal government nor any state government shall administer, implement, or enforce any law, rule, regulation, standard, or other provision having the force and effect of the law that conflicts with any provision of this act, notwithstanding any other provisions of federal law, including the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, meaning that any law that goes against what this law says is what they're saying, limits abortion in any such way that this law that they're trying to put forward deems that those laws are now invalid, and this law supersedes that. This law takes precedence over those laws, Again, over each state government, common law or otherwise, nothing. Usurping the power, which only, Congress doesn't have this power. Only the Constitution allows this. And this is not one of those things implied within the Constitution. And remind you, the text of this bill that was voted on, on July 15th, 2022 was after the overturning of Roe v. Wade and there has been no constitutional amendment to add in the right to an abortion. And that's what he's talking about here of this dealing with this interstate commerce. That this is a complete hard totalitarian overreach in the ability to codify Roe v. Wade. Then he goes on in the article to talk about this because this is a a a huge portion of this later on even in the the current bill it says um, well not quite Um, he's saying here that previous versions of the WHPA use woman or woman dozens of times and when you go back and read older versions of this bill they do current version of the bill however replaces these words with person or people as does the current finding. its finding explained that it would protect all people who with the capacity of pregnancy cisgender women transgender women non-binary individuals those who identify with a different gender and others what does that even mean just making up stuff as they go along and even the current the new bill in the early portions of this basically just carves out early on in talking about anyone who might want abortion, um, as I'm trying to make sure I have it here, uh, talks about how, um, sex, including gender identity, sex, sex stereotyping, or sexual orientation. That's how they're defining everything. Um, and trying to throw these radical ideologies involved in all of this, which is just absolutely just crazy. And then goes on to talk about how the bill repeatedly targets what it calls abortion-specific restrictions, prohibiting any regulation or limiting that is not also applied to medically comparable procedures. As the Supreme Court recognized in Roe, however, abortion is inherently different. The presence and intentional death of the unborn child means that there's no medical comparable procedure. Obviously true um and again it goes back he goes back into the overreach of the federal government into state laws and he talks about how when all this is said and done the WHPA would retroactively and prospectively prevent any government at any level from enacting or enforcing any law which we read before in the current bill this this is the same copy from the old bill regulation standard, etc that has any conflict with such law, with any WHPA provision. No one with any knowledge of our system of government, let alone senators who have sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution, could think that Congress has such draconian authority. And then you go, he closes out by saying this. He says, in a 1983 essay titled Abortion and the Conscience of the Nation, President Ronald Reagan wrote this, that we cannot diminish the value of one category of human life, the unborn, without diminishing the value of all human life. And the real question, he wrote, Ronald Reagan did, is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life? And he, he says here in this article, he says, that the Supreme Court's answer in Roe v. Wade was that human life has almost no value before both. The WHPA scoffs even at that, denying that human life exists at all before birth, and ultimately, senators will give their answer and gave their answer when they take up the bill when he wrote this the next week. And this case of Congress, 219-10, to 10, one Democrat. That is, this is not how the founders intended for bills and, and things such of this nature to be passed. Plus, Congress doesn't have the authority to do the things that they're saying. These This type of stuff that's in this bill, the Women's Health Protection Act, overseeds anything we saw during COVID, Overseeds anything such of that nature. These are the type of bills that the founding fathers of why they made things so tedious within the Senate to prevent bills and overreach such as that this nature because they knew one day there would eventually be a group of leaders and a people who would want to overtake and usurp authority from the entire populace. Because they understood that. So to answer and look at what Representative Jeffrey said of We Stand for Women's Health Protection Act. We voted on it. Go read the bill. We've done just that. We've looked at things. And again, uh, point out in in the findings and sections, I'm going to make sure I get this right. It's later down in the bill in 20. 20- 21, and 22, it points out international um, human rights laws, uh, points out uh, UN Rights Committee and their involvement with quote-unquote a right to life around international um, state government laws, uh, UN independent human rights experts, none of this matters. We're, we're listening to LGBTQ stuff here and this stuff. We're listening to the UN. That, that doesn't matter. That's not how the rule of law is should be applied here in the United States. And I, I want to next read a closing statement in a book. If you haven't read it, I would highly, highly suggest you get it. I want to make sure I get it up here. It's called Live Not By Lies by Rob Dyer. It's a story about um, political dissidents and their afterlife and walking through and giving testimony of what they went through during the Soviet reign in Russia, before and after, and some of the people involved, specific people involved in the underground church movement, in the underground resistance within uh, not only Russia, uh, nations such as Czechoslovakia at, at the time, and, and he gives this sentiment on religion as the bedrock of resistance. And he says this because we're at a time now where, as we're seeing, true faith and true Christianity is needed to arise in this nation. And we've talked about and looked at the senators this week who have signed the bill to not want to stand with Lindsey Graham on this issue. As we've talked about before, going to continue to say it, is if you have this supposed red wave, this supposed red tsunami, then why wouldn't you take full advantage of this right now, put the pressure on people, see where they stand, ask them questions, ask Democrat candidates while you're campaigning, while you're debating, while you're interacting with them to figure out if you want to vote for them or not, and say, where do you stand on this issue? Do you agree with late-term abortions? Do you agree with with infanticide, those such things as we're seeing out in California and in Virginia before Virginia was completely overturned. This is a motivating factor for Democrats. They are pushing the WHPA, what they're deeming the Women's Health Protection Act, and not only allowing abortion, but more importantly, determining that Congress and the Senate have the authority, which they don't, which is what they're trying to state, to determine what happens at the state level. And so... In the book here I want to read this this last section. He he points out how in what is deemed a post-Christian world. If you've ever heard that term of now we live in a society where people have been churched and now they're we live in a post-Christian world. He says this. He says a time of painful testing testing even persecution is coming. Follow me here and listen lukewarm or shallow Christians will not come through with their faith intact. Christians today must dig deep into the Bible and church tradition, and he's Catholic, so some things he's going to say is along those lines, and teach themselves how and why today's post-Christian world, with its self-centeredness, its quest for happiness and rejection of sacred order and transcendent values is a revival religion to authentic Christianity. We should also see how many of the world's values have been absorbed into Christian life and practice. We then must judge how the ways of the world and its demands conflict with what Christ requires of his disciples. Are we admirers? or followers. How will we know? We will know when we act or fail to act. As Christians, when to be faithful costs us something. It may be a small thing at first, a place on a sports team because we don't play on Sunday mornings, or the respect of our peers when we will not march in a parade for a political cause. But the demands made on us will grow greater and the consequences for failing to submit to the world's demands will grow more severe he continues we serve a god who created all things for a purpose he has shown us in the bible especially the gospels who we are and how we are to live to be in harmony with the sacred order he created he does not want admirers he wants followers and you know modern charismatic would be lovers in relationship with him song song of songs As Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God suffered with humanity to redeem humanity. He calls us to share in his passions for our sake and for the sake of the world. He promises us nothing but the cross, not happiness, but the joy of blessedness, not material wealth, but the riches of spirit, not sexual freedom or erotic abandon, but sexual freedom within loving, mutually sacrificial commitment in marriage not power but love not self-sovereignty but obedience this is the uncompromising rival religion that the post-christian world will not long tolerate if you are not rock solid in your commitment to traditional christianity and more so biblical scriptural foundations then the world will break you but if you are then this is the solid rock upon which the world will be broken. And if those solid rocks are joined together, they form a wall of solidarity that is very hard for the enemy to break. And the point there is, is build your house on the rock, not on sinking sand. And it's can be a bit difficult to, to look at this this way, but the reality is is take from the example of those who lived through tata- hard totalitarian regimes who made you a political prisoner just by speaking out if you disagreed with them and in some instances in russia in czechoslovakia would um, be the threat of ending your life if you, if you spoke out christians especially The church had to go underground, just as our brothers and sisters in China right now have to go underground for fear of persecution and, in some instances, their lives. And so we say all this, we want to understand the realities of what are going on on this issue today as we close out. And the sole purpose of bringing this out is our prayer point of praying for believers ahead of these midterm elections, praying for politicians who would stand up. There's prophetic out there from Sidney Jacobs and the like, who have talked about there will be a day when we look back at the decisions of Roe v. Wade, the stances of our politicians, like we, would look, like we now look back on slavery, of how we question why we ever went there. So if there's that prophetic that's out there that hasn't been fully fulfilled, she even talked about, uh, John West points out that, there, she talked about how there would be a monument in D.C. for the unborn who lost their lives during this time. That's a long way off. We're closer than we were a year ago with the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs and Mississippi case. And so it gives us hope for a future, for life, for standing for the the innocent, and not just for the woman because there are procedures that can be done to protect the life of the, the mother and the baby if there are potential problems involved. And this idea of them kind of reversing it on the Clinton's head, of them using scare tactics of saying, well, then we won't be able to save the mother. That's not the reality. Science has advanced far enough for us to be able to understand the realities of the problem involving a pregnancy, to be able to protect and save the mother's life, as plenty of doctors out there will tell you. And I'll leave a link to an article that talks about that. About understanding the differences that the left try to really, in all reality, lie about when it comes to emergency care for pregnancies um, and how modern science can help save the life of the mother and the baby. And, and in some instances, if the baby is born prematurely and it isn't viable outside the, the womb, can give the family last moments to be able to hold them and say their goodbyes. And as um, someone who has lost a child and never had that ability to do that, that I could see where that would be very, very valuable in helping the healing process. Um, so with that, I want to thank you all for following with me today. Again, I'll be traveling uh, this week. I'll be back Monday um, giving an outline of the week. And tomorrow I want to lay out... Uh, an example from this book, Live Not By Lies, of someone who lived out a life of being a political dissident in then Czechoslovakia and being one of the only Christian leaders in the resistance movement. So with that, I'll thank each every one of you for following along today. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave that five-star review wherever you're listening from. Blessings, and I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.